You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Hey, welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, give him liberty or give him death. It's Jeff McLarge-Huge. That That seems like a pretty pretty dangerous choice there, Bill. I'm, hey, I'm not <laughs> sure. Can it can it be can it be a little bit a, a little bit less? Give me give me liberty or give me like tapioca pudding or something. There was a great Far Side cartoon. It was. Uh, it was like Patrick Henry at the dinner table and the wife is yelling at him. And she's like, oh, knock it off with the give me the potatoes or give me death. <laughs> ah, I used to love those cartoons. They came back for a little <laughs> while before the pandemic hit. But then I All haven't, right. I didn't see them. He started publishing them again on the web. Uh, Gary Larson did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll, have to look, I'll have to look for that. I, I, I heard about it, but then I never looked into it. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was reading them as they came up, but then... I kind of either stopped looking for them or they stopped coming up where I would see them. So, Because I got distracted by my latest YouTube wormhole. <laughs> Which is? Or, or rabbit hole. Uh, well, these days I've been watching, I mean, I watch a lot of skeptic videos and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I, I Right before we started, I actually got into some, got in, got in it with somebody on like a Halloween board that I'm uh, a member of. Um, about Ouija boards. Mm-hmm. And the, the guy said he had this story about his grandmother. I was like, look, anecdotes are not evidence. And if you want to be right. afraid of a, of a board game, that's fine. I, for one, am terrified of Parcheesi. But that's another story for another day. <laughs> I've got gnip phobia. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, when, you, when, you go, when you go down the skeptic rabbit hole, like how far in do you go? How many days do you lose to that, Bill? That's like all I do. Like I don't even watch television <laughs> anymore. I mean, I was like last last week of the week before I was talking about uh, I was started watching Cobra Kai and I pissed right through that. I I, yep. I did all all episodes of both seasons in like under a week. Oh, um, wow. But yeah, but most of the time, like I never watch. Remember the old like the old way of doing things where you would flip through the channels to see what yeah. you can watch, yep. and then the invention of on demand. That's not necessary anymore right so you know i would just like watch american dad oh that's foreshadowing kids i would just watch american dad (laughs) you know on demand right you know like why force myself to be in a certain room at a certain time to watch something when i can just watch it whenever i want but more times than not whenever i sit down and watch television i just watch youtube videos yeah that's the sort of same what same thing i do so how far down do i go yeah like like deep Deep, 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 deep. <laughs> All the way to the bottom of the James Randi Foundation, mm. where the skeptics go to go to die. Uh, oh my God, like the, I mean, I don't believe in anything. I, I, I don't even really think acupuncture is real. Uh, like, <laughs> like some of these people though, they just have like the best arguments. It's like 
um, this one guy, um, Matt Dillahunty. This guy, you could not, you cannot corner this guy with anything. Right. He's got an. He's been doing it for so long. He's got an answer for everything. He just goes. It's like running a play. It's like a football player running a, a, a you know a, um, a play. Um, oh, okay. Yep. He's like, oh, you know, he, somebody will bring up something. He goes, okay, that is. He brings up all the logical fallacies. You know, whenever they you get into a debate with a believer versus a non-believer, and right. it doesn't have it doesn't have to be, you know, religious in nature. It can be anything. You know, like our friends who take pictures of the Loch Ness monster. Exactly. Or or, and and yeah. yeah, so one thing that gets brought up, you know, quite ob- often is argumentum ab- ad hominem, which is delightfully wonderful to say. <laughs> Basically, you're attacking the person and not the idea. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like. Only a moron like you would believe in Ouija boards, kind of a thing. Right, right, you know? right, right. When you start arguing like that, it it get the the argument gets nowhere. It's it's true, and it, it's actually you know in like rhetorical debate, that's a that's one of the tactics that people use to sort of win points in a rhetorical debate. My YouTube rabbit holes are way different than that. Like I I like to go down the skeptic hole. I also love the like the weird photographs of time travelers hole, which I've been down a few times now, and <laughs> some other stuff. I but love how like, they always like blur their face. No, and... it's usually it's they're really interesting in, in like it, it's like a picture of a woman walking through a Charlie Chaplin scene who clearly appears to be talking on a cell phone. Have you ever seen the videos of like the guy that claims to be a time traveler? Yes, John Titus. Yes, I have seen those. But no, there's other people besides John Titus. But they always like blur their face and distort their voice because otherwise, yes, I've seen that like... guy. I've seen that guy too. Because right. and the reason why they do that is because otherwise you'd be like, oh, that's. Freaking Carl! I was in wood shop with that asshole. Right. I went to school. I went to school with that guy. <laughs> now this is the stuff like like the, the somebody will have a picture from like a t- atomic bomb test in 1956, and in mm-hmm. the crowd of people at the atomic bomb test, there's somebody with a very modern camera in very modern for us and modern Nintendo, clothing. Nintendo yes, Switch. Yes, holding a Nintendo <laughs> Switch, or like a, a a film snippet from a Charlie Chaplin film where a woman walks behind him, and it's it seems to be that she's very clearly speaking on a cell phone. Mm. I like to go down the rabbit hole with those, but where I usually spend my rabbit hole time is I follow the National Oceanographic Oceanographic and Atmospheric Association, where the Nautilus submarines go down to like six thousand meters below the surface of the the ocean. Oh wow. And when I'm watching it, you know, you never know when you're going to be like, it's all live. So you can be sitting there for four hours while they do this expedition and go down the slope of like this continental shelf. And at any time during that dive, you might be one of the first people to ever see an animal that these scientists are seeing that hasn't even been classified yet. It's really interesting. Oh, my children refer to it as watching the sand. Because, because yeah, it's a lot, a lot, lot of it, it just revolves around sand pushing in front of a camera as the, I'm, I'm the having submarine fl- descends. I'm having but. flashbacks to Geraldo Rivera opening up uh, Capone's the Andrea, vault. Oh, the, or the Andrea Doria safe where he's like, there's mud in here. Yeah, yep, that's yep. that's what's in there. Mud. <laughs> Look, sand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, everyone. All right, let's uh, let's get on with the show. But before we Alrighty. start, before we start, I do have a trivia question for Ooh, you. I like those. Yeah, I'm going to get it this week. No, you're not. I'm over. I'm over twenty. Yeah, yeah. In the Saturday morning cartoons of Schoolhouse Rock, probably one of the more famous ones, and it's Uh-oh. famous to me because it has my namesake. Uh, I'm just oh. a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. Now right. it tells a story about a bill making his way through the uh, red tape to become a law. 
the bill that becomes a law in that cartoon is a law. Now, what bill was being passed into law in that cartoon? Oh my God, I really? Yep. Oh, Jesus. All right. Well, we'll have to talk about that at the end of the show because I'm going to need some time to think about it. <laughs> electricity, 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 oh, electricity. Yes. Don't make me sing a little 12 toes to you. <laughs> so this is going to be the week beginning, November the 23rd, and you are starting. November 23rd, 1982. Let me ask you this question, Bill. Hey, I'm the one with the questions around here. How many television commercials do you typically see minute-wise in an hour of television, broadcast television? I don't know, man. I, I watch some, like, bikini haul videos on YouTube, but it seems like <laughs> seems like there's, like, 30-second ads every, like, four minutes. But on broadcast television, I kind of know this because whenever you get, like, the full box set DVDs of, like, yep. you know, any particular series – Episodes typically are about 22 to 23 minutes long. So I'm going to say about eight minutes. So 60 minutes in an hour worth of commercials. 60 minutes. So that would be and and, and commercials. Hold on. Commercials are 30 seconds each. So roughly 30 to 32 commercials in an hour. That's my guess. 30 to 32 commercials in an hour. So, yeah, okay. So I don't know if you'd be 30 commercials in an hour, but your tag at 16 minutes is not it is not wholly inaccurate, although it's changed in more recent times. But didn't change initially until 1982 when the FCC, which had had a limit on the duration and frequency of TV ads, mm-hmm. removed that limit oh. because they assumed that the broadcast companies, NBC, ABC, and CBS, would police themselves and not uh, exceed that typical eight-minute threshold. At the time, because that statistic, that that, uh, regulation was in place, they typically had less than eight minutes of ads per hour. All right. But as soon as, and they all pledged that we don't expand, we don't plan to expand our ads. They will never be longer than 30 seconds. Oh, my chapped balls. We certainly won't ever do that. And then literally like one day later, NBC said, 16 and a half minutes of ads. All right. And they doubled it and started advertising hard liquor and contraceptives and other stuff. The idea being that they thought that ABC would, and NBC and CBS wouldn't do it because they figured that the small stations in small rural areas would get so much pushback from their locals if they started to advertise this stuff, they didn't want to do it. But it was like a station in like, I don't know, Mud, Mudney, Indiana, that started selling hard liquor ads right away and nobody cared. Mm-hmm. And then it was all over the place. So thank you, FCC. Uh, yet another quality regulation removal that has improved our lives considerably. May you roast in the fires of hell forever. Yeah, that's if you give somebody, I'm not going to say everybody, but if you give the opportunity for somebody to make more money, they will make more money. So right. it, whenever they kind of like took the the reins off and it's like, okay, you don't have to, you know, you can have, uh, you know, X amount of time. Uh, to do your commercials, of course they're going to do more. You're lucky they, they stopped at eight. Right. And and like at the time, the chairman of the FCC, Mark Fowler, said that he wanted to deregulate television entirely so broadcasters would be free to operate like newspapers with no limits to the amounts or type of advertising. It would all be determined by market forces. So there's that that sort of early sort of early Reagan era sort of push towards libertarian deregulation, which the backlash is, you know, now I have to sit through 17 minutes of catheter ads every half an hour (laughs) when I'm trying to catch the news for 15 minutes. I miss the days where 
advertising medicine was still illegal. Ask your doctor if yourself is right for you. <laughs> uh, do you remember when they started selling medication for restless leg syndrome? It's like, oh, come on. Yes, those, I remember that. The, and it's 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 and those things are always like again, it's always it's always put on the consumer to take this crazy like crazily named medicine to their doctor and say, like, do I have this disease? Mm-hmm. Do I have restless leg syndrome? Ask your doctor if no kick at night is right is right for you. And then they'll say like, no kick at night has been known to cause conditions such as Dutch elm disease, spontaneous human combustion, explosive flatulence, stigmata, diarrhea, severe constipation, visions of purgatory, <laughs> complete transformational you know body hair change, alopecia, you know Wookie speak, and and anything else right? <laughs> Bending of the space time continuum. <laughs> Canine distemper, you know, and then it'll be like patients who take <laughs> patients. Ask your doctor if you know no kick at night is right for you, because damn it, those legs just won't stay still. Uh, and then it's like happy people in the ad. Nobody is covered with wookie hair or bursting into flames. Or so yeah, you go to the doctor and you're like, doctor, I, I think I have restless leg syndrome. And the doctor says, no, you don't, because it's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the thing is, like, when you go to the doctor's, like, it's just as bad. So if you sit down, if you're sitting down in the waiting room, right, and you go to your you're sniffly, because you're at the doctor's office, right? Let's assume that you're there because you have a cold and you want to find out if it's the flu or some something. And you reach over to take a tissue out of the tissue box, and it's like the tissue box says, "Brought to you by gaglubinab." Gaglubinab is the disease for people who have diabetes. And then you look over, and there's a. A, a calendar on the wall and the calendar is brought to you by the Tylenol Corporation and then you look over here and there's a chart that says do you have restless leg syndrome and that's brought to you by no kick at night and it's like everything in there is provided by sponsors for free and it's all advertising medicine that they're getting paid to we're getting way off track here but they're, that's, they're all getting like a reason to prescribe this medicine to you because pharmaceutical reps come and say like look I'll give you this case of toilet paper if you know you can get 10 of your patients to take no sh- your pants or whatever it's called. Whatever the hell it's called. Yeah, yeah I go to my okay. doctor. It's like, yeah, I, th- I think I have restless leg syndrome. He goes, okay, here, take this. It's like, all right, I clearly saw you take that pill out of a Pez dispenser. <laughs> you know what the cure for reckless le- restless leg syndrome should be? A treadmill. Yeah. <laughs> just, just to sleep on that. Work thing. it out. Moving on. Okay, November the twenty fourth, okay. special holiday. It's called All Our Uncles Are Monkeys Day. And ah. that is to uh, commemorate uh, Charles Darwin's publishing of The Origin of Species on the November 24th in 1859. Yes. Radically changing the view of how evolution laid the foundation for biology. Vastly, vastly different train of thought that had taken place up to that point that there were some species that had evolved and changed over time and adapted to changing environments to pass traits on through natural selection so that the animals that we see today are different than the animals we would have seen a million years ago and a billion years ago, etc. Caused a tremendous amount of angst and still does when it was released. Oh, I know. But it's a fantastic, I, I, super easily readable book and very, very clearly put together. Yeah. Um, it's wonderful. I see a lot of that in my uh, my rabbit hole, in the skepticism rabbit hole. I bet you do see a lot of it in the skepticism. And what's, what's interesting about uh, Darwin's theory on evolution versus the model that we go with today is... It's actually different. I mean, mm-hmm. Darwin, you know, he had it in the ballpark. You know, he was he was kind of there. But um, the way we think about it now, the way it was, it was put to me, sometimes you hear something in a way that, it, like, you understand something, or at least you think you understand something, and then somebody explains it a certain way, like, really simple. And you're like, yep. okay, now that makes perfect sense. The right. way it was explained to me was uh, with polar bears, okay? So you have... 
all these polar bears that aren't white because bears, by and large, are not white. And then there was this genetic mutation, this random genetic mutation, which happens basically with every every birth ever. And there was this white, there was this one white bear. And this one white bear got way more fish and survived way longer than any other bear. So whenever he spawned, he gave, uh, you know, him and his, uh, his girlfriend or his wife, however you want to say it, they had more bears and some of them carried on that white gene. And sure enough, the white ones caught more fish because they were, you know, and they didn't get killed by predators or, or whatever. Well, polar bears aren't going to get killed by predators. They're, they're pretty high up on the, on the thing. But because they camouflaged so well, they had a better survival. So the ones that survived carried on and the ones that didn't survive died out. So eventually the white gened bear took over and that's how we get polar bears. Well, yeah, okay. So that's a super broad description of how evolution works that follows Darwin's theory of natural selection. Yes. Like that's that trait that makes it possible for them to make more babies than their 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 peers at the time is what makes them successful. Right. But Darwin didn't have the benefits of of genetic understanding. Like the double helix hadn't been developed. People didn't understand right. genetics beyond what Gregor Mendel had figured out with <laughs> peas and how you could you splice peas together and stuff. It's a little bit more detailed than that, but that's not a bad that's not a bad description of a bill at all for for Hold on. Yeah. Gregor yeah. Mendel, funny story. Um there was this dude that my uh, I didn't go to high school with him, but one of my friends did. The teacher kept on going on and on and on about Gregor Mendel, right? So there was this test, and the kid did not know any of the answers. So however many answers there were on the test, he just filled them out one word at a time. And he wrote, public enemy is in full effect, and don't you forget about it, Gregor. <laughs> Not that the name Gregor Mendel comes up in conversations very often, but when it does, that's all I think about. And don't you forget about it, Gregor. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Why well, I always think of it as this dominant and recessive traits, but okay, I'll, 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 I'll add that to my thing. That's pretty funny. That's a pretty funny story. <laughs> okay, so moving on, next day, 25th, what do you got? November 25th, 1867, Alfred Nobel patents dynamite and creates an explosive situation for everyone from then on. Also paving the way for great cowboy western movie explosions and our potential mine cave-ins. <laughs> and car- cartoon uh, cartoon hijinks, yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly where would Wiley Coyote be without dynamite? Now, now you're, talk- you. you're talking about the explosive, not the kids' magazine from, from when we were yes. in grade school. The, the 1980s, okay. yes, no. I, I mean so anyway, um, uh, yeah, so interesting story about uh, our friend Nobel, which is where the Nobel Prize comes from. He invented dynamite, so that we just covered that. But while he was inventing dyna- dynamite, you know, it, he didn't get it right on the first try. He inadvertently ended up killing a couple of his brothers, two or three of them, which you figure, I mean, I got a small family, but after... <laughs> Put it this way. If Aaron was inventing dynamite and he took Mark out of the game, yes. would you help Aaron with the dynamite? Because I would right. not. Well, I wonder, I wonder what that was like. Like, hey, hold on to this for a second. Boom! Ah, oh, crap. All right. Well, all right, hang on. We're going to need another. Let's. Uh, who else do I know that lives near me? And that's to bring the brother down like, hey, what happened to Bob? Oh, you don't need to know about Bob. It's his shoes and the rest of him is gone. You know, here, hold, hold on I'm to this. Bug my parents to make more. Hey, you're still young. He it's ended exactly. up uh, inadvertently killing a couple of his brothers. And whenever he finally did patent uh, dynamite, he used that money to establish uh, a fund 
which is where we get the money for the Nobel Prizes now. It's true. And the fund debuted about 27 years later, which putting on my prognostication hat and going away from the skeptical hole, we may talk about a little later today. Dynamite? I mean, besides the cartoonish stuff about Dynamite, I don't really have much to say about it. Well, think, a- about, think about this. Like, why does anybody invent? Why does anybody invent anything, right? Why? What was the necessity that, that mothered the invention of Dynamite? And I'm pretty sure that Alfred Nobel was sitting there in 1867, and he's looking at the first tube of, that was stable that didn't have a sibling to kill. And he goes, there it is. I got it. It's Dynamite. This stuff's going to revolutionize mining it's going to revolutionize warfare this is going to change it's the going world to re- revolutionize road runner I, catching i am going to have to chase the women away with a <laughs> stick because of this stuff remember when we were kids and like oh this is a quarter stick of dynamite oh the devil's asshole that's not a quarter stick of dynamite i got to hold that in my hand and sting <laughs> for a little bit yeah I, I don't know about that i've seen i've seen the effects of m80s blowing off people's fingers it's no no when fun when was the last time you had an m80 uh, my dad used okay. to get them every 4th of okay. July when I was Your a kid. Your dad, okay. M80s now, they're nothing. I remember M80s when I was a kid. We used to put them underneath the five-gallon buckets, and it would shoot them up into the sky. Now, I've got right. m- like more violent farts after a Mexican pizza, honestly. <laughs> well, M- M- okay. Well, I'm just going to say, I only know them as the yeah. M80s from my childhood. I never. Yeah, they had that nice kind of deep kind of boom kind of explosion to them right no now they're just like yep. an elaborate firecracker really oh, you know well, why all right thanks yeah. a lot alfred noble for your crappy quarters yeah, because uh, yeah, yeah, kids are killing their younger brothers with them i guess if only there was some sort of prize to take the sting off all right let's move on to the 26th november 26 1952 the first 3d movie hits the theaters it is called baguana devil yep directed by arch obler and it premiered in, in la and it was the first 3D that used the red and green lens covers Anaglyph. for each eye because the film was in black and white. Anaglyph. That's Anaglyph. what it's called. Anaglyph. And gave you the exciting sensation of walking through the jungle and sometimes having animals jump out at you. Not the best movie, but one that showcased the technology that would go on to take over the sort of fad years of the 50s become something that ended up with I mean, uh, color, uh, three-dimensional films in the late 60s and into the 70s. That's the polarized. Then, polarized lens. Yep. yep. 3D. That's the, the ones that are like the sunglasses with the lines going across and then the lines going up and down. There was a time when we were kids where 3D television was a thing. 3D and, TV. Uh, 3D TV. I remember when Channel 6, WLVI in, in New Bedford showed Gorilla at Large. Oh, at my the, God. On the 4 o'clock movie. <laughs> and you had to write in to the local newspaper to get to get um, you could buy pairs of 3D glasses for like 50 cents each. Uh, yeah, and we all got together and watched that movie and then House of Wax. Yeah, they sold them so. at uh, they sold them at like store 24. Yep. Uh, yeah, Gorilla at Large. I forgot all about that one. Gorilla I remember large, them showing. Yeah. I remember Channel 56 or Channel 38, one or the other. Uh, they showed the Creature from the Black Lagoon. Right. Which was originally shot. Yeah, well, actually, they showed Revenge of the Creature because that was the one that was originally shot in in, in 3D and didn't have to be converted. They both were? Yeah. Yeah, Creature from the Black Lagoon was shot in 3D. I actually own uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon Blu-ray that's got the 3D version of it. And I watched it in my my VR helmet. It was crazy because it's just so, like, not only is it in 3D, it's very encompassing because you're in in the VR helmet that's like... 
you don't have any peripheral vision. Right, right. Yeah, 3D has come and gone in waves. Like you had the the initial like fad in the 50s. Dial M for Murder, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's movie, was shot yep. 3D. By the time it hit the theaters, the fad had died. So right. they, they just released it as a flat movie. But it was originally shot in 3D, yeah. Huh, oh, I, didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. I know that um, there was a big resurgence of it in the 80s with Coming At Ya, starring the aptly named Tony Anthony. I have that movie on DVD. I've never watched it. I've Don't never. It, no, I, I tried. <laughs> I tried my damnedest. And, you know, so he, he and made, I'm, a he stubborn, a... I'm a stubborn motherfucker, Jeff, and I could not get through that movie. Ugh. His movies are all terrible. That one was bad. He, he made the, my favorite of all the bad 3D movies of the 80s, one that I took my dad to. Or my dad took me to. And his comment at the end of the film was, you're never allowed to pick the movie again. Oh, my God. That was, Which one was that? <laughs> that was a, it was called Treasure of the Four Crowns. Oh, I've seen that one. it was so awful. It was. It was so bad. It was so boring. It was so slow. It, the 3D was so unnecessary. It was so friggin' bad. What was the other one uh, that had, um, uh, I think Molly Ringwald was in it, and so was Rich, that was, Richard Mall uh, okay, from Nightcore. Yep, that was Space Hunter. Oh, well, that, that, now you're talking two different films. Oh, am I? There's, there's, yes, there's Space Hunter Adventures of the Forbidden Zone. That was with um, Molly Ringwald. Yep. That was her first film. They film called a Scav Girl. Yeah. Yes, and that and that was the one that had uh, Michael Ironside as the the villain and Peter Coyote as the star. That was a pretty good film. And then there was uh, what was the one with Richard Mall, which he described as I watched it on the on the plane on the way home from the premiere. Uh, <laughs> that's how bad it was. And that was uh, uh, the destruction of Z- Jared Sin was the subtitle, Star Chaser or something. That the, the destruction of Jared Space, Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone, and Star Chaser the the destruction of Jared Sin. Yeah, terrible, terrible movies. Terrible, 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 terrible. Okay, I think I just terrible. saw the one with Molly Ringwald. I know I saw the one with Molly Ringwald because we, we, we keep calling this neighborhood girl Scav Girl because we just <laughs> we just thought it sounded like such a vile... <laughs> That's terrible. It's a, a real vile insult, yeah. Scav Girl. Scav Girl. Jeez. And then, I don't know, I must be having a false memory because I know Richard Mall did a 3D movie, but I don't think I've ever you seen know, that. No, he one. did. He was, he, he, was, he was in the one with the, 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 whatever the destruction of Jared Sin yep. was the subtitle of it, and yeah, he was the villain. He was like the main villain in that film. When it was, it was awful. It was terrible. <laughs> um, it was terrible. It was like Space Hunter with a third of the of the budget. They spent all their money buying the three D camera. It's like, well, we need to hire a script a script writer. It's like, yeah, we're, we got like ten bucks yeah. left. Hey, <laughs> hey, what do you think? This is Hollywood. <laughs> we'll just make it up as we go along. Who who are we gonna get to play Scav Girl? <laughs> <laughs> and then later on, like, you know, all of the Star Wars movie, modern Star Wars movies and all the uh, MCU and all that, they were all filmed in 3D. Right. So you had the option of going to see it in 3D or going to see it flat. I usually opted for the 3D, even though the 3D in those movies, it wasn't like the gimmicky 3D from the 80s that we grew up right. with. It was more no, when the people try and like hand you things through the screen, like right. in Jaws, Jaws, Jaws 3. Hey, do you want a sandwich here? And it's like the sandwich comes out of the screen at you. But and then for 20 minutes, there's nothing that's 3D oriented. And it's like, then there's a kid who's like, mom, can I have some popcorn? And the mom goes, sure. And they hand popcorn out of the screen at you. Oh, going back uh, to like the, you mentioned the house of wax, you know, the famous ping yeah. pong ball sequence. Yes. That yeah, the the cattle board. To, it has, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It has, it has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. 
It was only just stuck to, in there to dis, uh, to display, <laughs> to show off, to flex, flex their muscles of the 3D. Yeah. And I think that's one of those where they got to the point where they're like, weren't we supposed to do something? Sp- we have all these expensive cameras. What the hell are we supposed to do with these? And like, oh, crap, we're supposed to be in three-dimensional. Like, yeah. we need something quick, yeah. you know? Right, but, give me the paddleboard. Yeah. Now, modern uh, modern 3D movies, though, the, the 3D isn't really... It's more subtle. It's more immersive. Like right, you know, it's right, about right, the world right. that you're in. But Endgame, like that final sequence in 3D, looked really, really, really cool. Not the final sequence, uh, the the final fight, I should say, because right, the right. end of the movie is like a half an hour later. I I think I stopped going to see the modern films in 3D with it was either Pacific Rim or the second Star Trek film. I can't remember which one mm. because I I there was a pattern that they were giving me phenomenal like brain cancer inducing headaches and i don't i and it turned out to be from the whatever the process is the number of flickers or something in oh. the thing that just made it impossible for me to see the whole film without wanting to take a ice pick to the front of my head so i've stayed i've stayed in with the 2d's pretty much since then all right moving on to the 27th november 27th 1896 also sprack zarathustra by richard strauss are you okay uh inspired yeah it's inspired by yeah gesundheit uh, inspired by uh, uh frederick nietzsche's philosophical novel debuts in frankfurt now you may be saying to yourself jeff what on earth is also sprack zarathustra yeah i'm getting, this I'm, is a piece of music i'm looking that, at craigslist like now for new hosts <laughs> right yes so so oh thanks thanks for that no because uh, apparently you just had a stroke so yes it's also sprack zarathustra uh, it, it basically put, means the put, spoke zarathustra put your Hands but up. it's all right. Put your so hands I'm, up. Do I'm you gonna, smell burnt toast? <laughs> see that? I, I do. It's uh, it's my kids though. They're making uh. waffles. Uh, with the with the waffle maker developed by Cornelius. <laughs> no, also Sprague's Arthur. Everybody knows this song. They just don't realize it okay. because it's was been used in a million things. So it's was also known as the theme to 2001: A Space Odyssey. So that sort of that's that song. Oh. The theme from Ric Flair. Why did you say so? So, the, see, everybody can adapt this to something. So, yes, Woo! the theme from Ric Flair was also the theme to 2001 A Space Odyssey, was also this particular piece of music inspired by by the philosophical novel by Frederick Nietzsche. It's an interesting and beautiful piece of music. Now that I'm paying attention, okay. what's it called? Also, Sprach Zarathustra. Okay. So that means also. thus spoke or thus spake Zarathustra. Also, and also known as, aka, also known as. No, it's also the the or thus. That's German for thus. As a little fun fact, if you want to just go down the rabbit hole of YouTube, there's a, was this thing called the Portsmouth Symphonia, which was a, an experiment done in the 1970s with these musicians who figured if they could find people who could read music and could play instruments, if they just made them all change instruments, <laughs> they'd still be able to make music. They had all these this all these people come in I who could read music. Not. Wait to and, hear that. <laughs> and they and with no practice, they start to play also Sprag Zarathustra. It's it's pretty funny to listen to. Um, so worth worth going out there to f- search for P- Portsmouth Symphonia S I N F O N I A. Because like I can sight read a little bit. I'm not great, but I can, I know how to do it right. Yep. And mm-hmm. I knew how to play piano. I was okay at one time. Uh, it's been a long time, but I, I, I like that. Now, if you put like a flute in front of me, I'm not gonna. It's gonna be like. <laughs> well, that's, that's, a, that's a prescient, 
prescient description, Bill, <laughs> because that's exactly what the Portsmouth Symphonia did. It's really interesting to hear the way the music evolves as they play it and record it for that first time. So totally worth going. Maybe we'll link in the show notes if, if, uh, if I can remember to send the link to Bill. Uh, totally worth it. Uh, actually, uh, Ric Flair's daughter, Charlotte Flair, she uses a, a version of that same piece now, too. It's almost got like a <laughs> kind of beat behind it. So I'm going to guess that she she's also a wrestler. She's not like a, you know, somebody who works in an office. No, she's she's on the geek. Look, squad. we all need entrance music, Bill. Even if we work in an office, she's yeah. on she's on the geek squad at Best Buy. It's like, hey, right. hi, I need some RAM, and oh, not her again. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! Two two big confetti cannons go off, and out she walks like bow, bow, bow. Uh, the only member of Geek Squad with a fifteen thousand dollar robe. <laughs> How come she's wearing all the gold lame? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. A sequence is that? Is that in the? Uh, is that in the, the the employee handbook? I thought they wore white, white shirt and a tie, not a feather boa. What the hell? Right. She or you know, in the office setting, she's like, you know, show up at the the Keurig coffee machine. You look, oh god, here she comes again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> crying out loud. I just want a cup of coffee. Dirtiest um, player of the game. Did you have something else for the twenty seventh? You wanted to mention? I did. <laughs> In 1895, exactly 27 years after Alfred Nobel invented dynamite by blowing up some of his brothers, he established, well, his will established the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> he did it by sheer will. So, the, or the Nobel Prize. <laughs> he was the force. So, so all, the, all the money that's ever been generated by the license for TNT is what goes into the Nobel Prize. And that is given out every year for literature and sort of uh, establishing peace along uh, among the world and science and, and other disciplines. And uh, it started in 1895, exactly 27 years uh, after he invented TNT. That's a lot of money to be handing out, but good for them. True. All right. Moving on to the 28th, we have two weird holidays. I like weird holidays. Yep. We have the Red Planet Day, better known as Mars. Mars, I, I, I <laughs> like, like my story about uh, uh, Gregor Mendel. I have like I cannot think about Mars without thinking about this story. Uh, I'm a haunted house actor, uh, as we have established, and yes. we had some guest actors from like uh, I don't know they were from the Midwest somewhere, and they had come to like work with us. And uh, the director of the uh, of the park, he loved these people. He put them up in a hotel. He paid for their travel. He just really wanted them. You know, to work with us, they had a really nice aesthetic. They looked fantastic, but their acting wasn't. It, 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 I'm, I don't want to put them down. I'm just saying it was different from what we do. You know, okay. And yeah. one guy like sat down in a chair and he held still. And when the customers would walk by, he would stand up like real sudden light, and he would go, Mars. The red planet, fourth planet from the sun, <laughs> Mars, and then and then sit back down. Right now, the guy that was running the doors of the haunted house was getting so pissed off at this. He was like, "Oh my god, he's they're paying this guy all this money. You know, Bill's better than this. Punch is better than right. this." He goes, "Well, if that's what the boss wants, that's what the boss is going to get." And for the remainder of that year. The entire next year, and every once in a while, if I talk to the guy, he'll still do it. He just starts, Mars, the red planet, fourth planet from the sun, Mars. <laughs> he, he wore that joke down to the freaking nub, and it's still great. It's still yep. funny, yep. yes. Some of the best jokes are like that. <laughs> yep. November 28th is also French Toast Day. 
which we celebrated in our uh, earlier part of this of this decade, or I guess it was the earliest part of the last decade. It's Freedom Toast Day. Oh, jump, <laughs> jumping Jiminy Cricket! Yeah, <laughs> talk about jokes that shouldn't be made oh. and are too nubby for this podcast. Freedom fries. French toast is one of the first things that I ever learned to cook. And when I was a kid, learned it from my mom because uh, she used to make French toast sometimes on Sunday mornings. That was my first time at the stove. or One of the first times I made food at the stove for more than just me uh, and for my brothers and for my mom. So I love French toast. Quincy enough, French toast was not the first thing I learned how to make, but it was the first out of a few incidences one where I almost burnt my house down to the ground. <laughs> Well, that's 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 the hallmark of good French toast yeah. is that it starts the kitchen on fire, Bill. Yeah, I. So you were probably doing it right. Oh my! I burnt the hell out of that thing. Yeah, I was. I was like, uh, uh. and the thing is, is it's not even hard to make. I'm just a. Not, I'm just a no. ding dong. It's one of those. It's deceptively easy to mess it up, yeah. though. I forget what it's called. It's like um, it's like angels in a blanket or something like that. It's the breakfast that they make in the movie for V for Vendetta. You like cut a hole in the toast and you put the egg inside of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've made that before, too. Yep. Bur- or as I call it, oh, I ruined the toast. Yep. Burnt the hell out of that one, too, yeah. <laughs> that, nope, I'm not going to eat that. that was, Let's just make scrambled yep, That was incident number two of... <laughs> right. I only have four eggs left. All right, moving on to the 29th. <laughs> the 29th, uh, 1935, physicist Edwin Schrodinger publishes his famous thought experiment, Schrodinger's Cat, the paradox illustrating the problem of the interpretation of quantum mechanics. Now, for those of you who don't know Schrodinger's Cat. It's a lot of big um, words you just used, yeah. It's a lot of big words, yes. Yeah. Who don't right. know the thought experiment of Schrodinger's yeah, Cat. Yeah, give us the, the, give idea us the is, polar bear version of this. Uh, I will give you the 10,000 polar bear version of this. Imagine you have a box. In the box, you put some cat food. In the box, you also put a live cat. And in the box, you also put something that is radioactive and decays. And as it decays, it releases a poison. And then you seal the box so that you cannot see or hear the, or smell the cat on the inside. The thought experiment is that the cat ceases to exist in that box until you open the box. So once you seal the box and you have set all this stuff in motion with the radioactive decay that releases poison that's going to kill the cat at some point, that none of it actually happens. The cat goes into a kind of quantum stasis because you cannot perceive the inside of the box. The idea being that if you open the box one year, five million years or whatever later, time has to catch up to the inside of the box and make all of these things happen so that when you open the box, the cat is in the state that it should have been if it was outside of the box. That's the way Schrodinger's cat's thing works. And if you want the cat to be immortal, you just never open the box up. Right, because to the perceiver. To the cat. The cat pretty much dies The cat is in on the secret. The cat is like, there's only one can of food in here, and this thing smells bad. It's leaking out all this But to the perceiver, until you open the box, the cat is both alive and dead at the same time. I have an ex-girlfriend that (laughs) she is both alive and dead at the same time. I'm trying to think of other things that are like Schrodinger's cat-like as far as paradoxes go, but that's that's actually a really good one that continues to come up both when you're talking about physics or when you're talking about philosophy. Or- I do have an ex-girlfriend that was n- a notorious warrior. I mean, that that yeah. if, the, if that girl could have put her creativity in, in, in coming up with worst-case scenarios into like a murder mystery, she'd be the next Agatha Christie. I mean, right. seriously, this girl was creative. 
And then she was like, well, how, how are you not worried about that? I was like, it's Schrodinger's cat. It hasn't happened yet. It's, it's both happening and not happening at the same time. I'm not going to worry about it until I open up the box. Right. <laughs> well, I, I'm pretty sure that I've got a couple of to-go, ca- to-go containers of Schrodinger's Chinese food in my fridge <laughs> that have been there for a long time. The milk in my fridge is, is both delicious and putrid at the same time. All right, let's move on to the celebrity birthdays. On the 23rd, 1887, ooh, a youngin, Boris Karloff, who most people would know as the monster of Dr. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. And he was... Frankenstein. Yep. And he was also the mummy. He was. Universal Studios, the mummy, yep. He was. He was uh, Universal Studios' second most at least the second uh, star to become this a star based on his work in monster movies mm-hmm. with uh, the first Frankenstein. He's also in my favorite films of the late 1950s, uh, directed by Val Luton, The Body Snatcher, and Isle of the Dead, and some other like super duper cheapo films. Yep. But his acting in those is phenomenal yep. guaranteed halloween must watches in my house he was uh he was very tall he wasn't very big he was actually very skinny and gangly yeah. but in the frankenstein suit he looked they, they you know he was all puffed up and stuff like that but boris called yeah. and he was very soft-spoken he was like yep. oh my dear are you all right yeah i so- seem to have stabbed my toe in the laboratory <laughs> As as imposing as he was, yeah, he was actually very, uh, very gentle and very, like I said, very gangly. Yeah. All right. Next, who do you got? Ah, uh, November twenty fourth, an actor of equal renown. If you've never watched anything but the A Team, nineteen forty seven, actor <laughs> Dwight Schultz, <laughs> who played Howlin' Mad Murdoch on the A Team, and uh, Ensign Barkley on Star Trek for two episodes, was born in Baltimore, Maryland. And I remember the Ensign Barkley ones because those are two of the better episodes of that show. I love it when a, when a podcast comes together. <laughs> yes, me too. All right. Somebody in this room has never seen a single episode of the A-Team. Bum, ba-dum, bum, that'd be Bill. Yep, never seen nope. it. Nope. I, have, I have seen plenty of episodes of Married with Children, who, November the 25th, 1971, Christina Applegate, a.k.a. Kelly uh, Bundy, uh, celebrates yes. her birthday. Yep. So that make, uh, yeah, that makes her what forty eight. Good for her. Yes, and still still acting. A good amount of people on that show went on to fame and fortune outside of Married with Children too. So yeah, she's. I think she's the only one that's really done that. That did the movie thing. She was an anchor man and some other stuff. Right. Uh, uh, and she's still like stunningly beautiful too. Yes. I just watched her in a series on Netflix called Dead to Me. Yeah, and like her. And the other girl in the show, and I can't think of her name either, but they're both in their you know mid to late forties. Good for them. I mean, both stunningly beautiful in their mid forties. Usually Hollywood has given up on on that, you know, but they're still they're still there. Good for them. Yeah, good for them. Yep. And I know we disagree on this one, but I loved her in uh, the reboot of the National Lampoon's Vacation. Yeah, the National Lampoon's Vacation. Well, we stay positive on the show, and I liked it. So there. Next. November 26, 1939. Anime Bullock, who you may not recognize the name for, but you certainly will recognize the name Tina Turner. I do. Tina Turner was born, so she's the uh, American singer who was part of the Ike and Tina Turner group. Went on to stupendous fame and fortune. In, coming out of the 1960s and into the 1970s. And then her career took off like a rocket ship in the 1980s with this amazing career resurgence, not only in popular music, but in film, mm-hmm. where she played characters like Auntie Entity in uh, the third of the Road Warrior movies, the 
Yeah, she was a Beyond Mad Thun- Max film. Beyond Thunderdome, right? And and she did the theme for that as well. She did. We don't need another hero. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she also she, she was, she was great. Fire. She film. was on fire in the eighties. Yep. And yep, a, yep. again, in her mid to late forties, usually yeah. usually the industry has given up on women about that time, but no, nope. yep. good for her. Nope, she did it, man. She made it. She made it happen. She's fantastic. Yeah, and that beyond Thunderdome too. She looked like she'd do a number on you. She looked awesome with the mohawk. Yep, I always remember the, like the cool like earrings that she had and like the weird chainmail dress and stuff. And yep. and she just she just owned that movie. It was great. Uh, next up on November the twenty seventh, nineteen fifty three, Curtis Armstrong. Now. Who might that be? Everybody will know him as Booger from the Revenge of the Nerds movies. Oh. Yep. Uh, He was also in One Crazy Summer. And then, yes, and he was Lane Meyer's friend in Better Off Dead. Off dead. I can't right. can't remember that character's name, but best best line he had in that movie is, "I've been going to this high school for seven and a half years, Lane. I'm no dummy." I always like the. I'd love to hang out, but I have to go home and drink this monster eggnog that my brother makes with lighter <laughs> fluid. And I'd say more recently, but he's been at it for a decade and a half. Curtis Armstrong, who was famous as Booger, plays the character, does the voice for the character Snot. <laughs> Uh, on the animated sitcom American Dad. Oh, that's right. He does, doesn't he? I totally yep. forgot that. And I was at a convention one time, and I happened to be walking by Curtis Armstrong. I didn't even know he was there. And he was talking to somebody, and my head like whipped around because I was like, wait, that's not from American Dad. I just, I, I love that show. That is my favorite uh, animated show. One of my favorite TV go. shows of the last decade. Next. All right. The next one's a weird one. So... Oh, go on. <laughs> uh, we'll go on. All right. November 28th, 1944, a writer named Rita Mae Brown was born. Now, you may be asking yourself, who the heck is Rita Mae Brown? The reason that her birthday stuck out for me is that she wrote two films that I have seen uh, that are so vastly different on the scale of films that people would watch that it shook me. She wrote the TV version of The Long Hot Summer, which is a oh. fantastic adaptation of William Faulkner's short stories. And she wrote Slumber Party Massacre, which Ooh. is not <laughs> an adaptation of William Faulkner's short stories. Have you ever seen Slumber Party Massacre? I have seen Slumber Party Massacre. Slumber Party Massacre, the the uh, the killer in question, his weapon of choice is a drill, like, yep. a, like, like a power drill, like a long power uh, drill. Yeah. Yes. I don't know, man. I can think of a bunch. I mean... Yeah, for a fact, I guess it would be a pretty nasty thing. But if somebody's coming at me with a drill, I can think of so many ways to get away. <laughs> like, right. I don't know, move a little bit? Because it's not <laughs> something you can swing, you know? <laughs> you kind of have to jab. All right, and wrapping up uh, on the 29th of November, Jerry the King, King Lawler. Lawler. Wrestler extraordinaire. An amazing artist, actually. Uh, that's a, something a lot of people don't know about him. He draws phenomenally, like, and and a lot on a lot of different mediums too. Like he paints, he draws, he does uh, markers. So this isn't like a euphemism for like he suplexes George the Animal Steel on the canvas or he, no, no, he's an actual. He smears Roddy Rowdy Piper across the ring ropes. He's a or, very gifted artist, and uh, and he works on a lot of different. Like he does photorealistic style, but he also does caricatures and comic book style yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's a well-rounded guy. Uh, famously, kind of who made Andy Kaufman 
famous. When Andy Kaufman decided that he was going to get into wrestling, he had a, a very notorious feud with Jerry Lawler where he like threw hot coffee on him and started swearing at him in the middle of the David Letterman show. Right. Well, to be fair, Andy Kaufman was already famous yeah. at that point. It's, that was when his career just went off the rails into sure. crazy. Yeah, stuff. I should say you made him famous. I should say you made him infamous. How's that? Yeah, there you go. Uh, I like that. That's better. Yeah, my run-in with Jerry Lawler is uh, I, I used to do a cosplay of Tony Stark because with the right haircut, sunglasses, and facial hair, I resemble Robert Downey. And uh, I went over to get an autograph from Jerry Lawler because I love the guy, you know. And he says, oh, yeah, uh, my girlfriend and I were watching you walk back and forth. And uh, we were really admiring the resemblance between you and Tony Stark. And I was like, hey, man, when you get a cow that gives chocolate milk, you drink chocolate milk. And he just like stops because he was drawing something when he, when I was talking right. to him. He just stops, right. looks up at me, gives me this smile like. Because he says lines like that all the time. But, yeah, he, yeah. He, like, I kind of, like, one-upped him at that point. He just gave me this big right, smile, nice. yeah. You know what I heard that night, though? Uh, the same night that I met Jerry Lawler, I heard... The worst song ever. And, and what is our worst song ever today? Oh, though? yeah. I'm going to bring this one up today because there's that old saying there, suffer for your art or your art will suffer. Well, I suffered for my damn art today because... Our number one song was the number one song this week in 1978, performed by Donna uh, Summer, a song called uh, MacArthur Park. Uh, now, yes, this song, she that was a cover. She didn't write the song. Yeah, no, okay? she didn't. The song actually dates back to like 1968. Yep. Um, it was written by a guy named Jimmy Webb and originally performed by, see if this name sounds familiar to you, Richard Harris. Yep, and if you're saying to yourself, Richard Harris, yeah, Dumbledore, not Richard Harris, not Richard Harris, who was in all those Shakespeare movies and and was in the film about Oliver Cromwell and all these like English period dramas in the ninth. Yes, that's exactly yeah. who I mean. And millennials would know him as Dumbledore from the Harry Potter movies. Yes, yeah, yeah. the f yeah, that's right. He he was, wasn't he, in the yeah. first one? He records this song, MacArthur Park. Now this song, hold on, let's just play a small clip. We'll we'll play a clip of Donna Summers. All the songs kind of like have that. Later on in Donna Summer's song, it's got that more like disco beat that you want to like dance to. They all sound out. It just it sounds so symphonic and majestic. Like the second you hear it, you're like, oh, here we go, MacArthur Park. Yeah. But this song lyrically is hilarious. Yes. So here, here's the, here's the lyric of the chorus. Ready? Check this out. This is a song <laughs> yeah. that. This is a song that. Hold on. This yeah. song okay. was number one in 1978. The original only went up to number two, right? And then it was actually covered by a country and western performer, and it received a Grammy. This song has got every award you could possibly imagine, and this is the lyric. Ready? MacArthur's Park is melting in the dark. All the sweet green icing flowing down. 
Someone left the I can't even say this in the straight face. Someone left the <laughs> cake out in the rain. I don't think I can take it because it took so long to bake it. And I'll never have that recipe again. Oh, yep. no. And anybody who ever sings it, it's always like super over dramatic. It's like, because it took so long to bake it. And I like <laughs> It's super, like, over-the-top emotional about I, I, a f***ing cake. I have to wonder if people who, like, choose to torment their friends and others at, like, karaoke night find themselves in the middle of the song and, th- and, and are singing it and thinking at the same time, like, God, this song is super long, and what the hell do these lyrics even mean? I mean, I'm sure it's a metaphor. It's gotta, it's gotta be, right. logically. It's gotta be a metaphor for something. I had heard that the guy that wrote it there, Jimmy Webb, he was at one time engaged to, like, Linda Ronstadt's sister or cousin or something like that, and she ended up getting married to somebody else in MacArthur Park, and it rained that day. I, I guess the cake is the wedding cake. I don't care. Uh, yeah. I don't I don't care what the backstory is to all this. This is just ridiculous. It's a cake in the rain in a song. Number one. And oh my God, I was looking at videos, dude. Donna Summer, like the song starts out all slow, like I just yeah, played. I know. But then it kicks into the disco and she just starts like dancing around the room. It's like, well, you don't seem too broken up about it. You're boogieing your ass off. Right. And, and, it's, and I love Donna Summer. I think Donna Summer is fantastic. But like she has two songs that just... To just make me wince, like all the way down to like every muscle in my body tenses up when it starts to play. It's this, this one, one <laughs> this one, and "Love to Love You, Baby." I just can't stand that oh, song yeah. either. And fortunately, that one isn't something that's traveled through the decades uh, to stink up hundreds of records. But <laughs> anytime that boomers are going to say that millennials are too whiny, I just need to bring up this song. It's like they're they're too whiny. They're talking about not being able to buy a house and find a job. You're crying, crying about a cake. <laughs> about a cake. Yeah, this, this this song, whether it's Jimmy Webb or it's Richard Harris or it's Donna Summer, it, it has the same effect on me if I hear it like as uh, as when I hear uh, Miss American Pie, Bye Bye oh, Miss American God. Pie by Don McLean, which is like I'll leap out of a moving car to get away from that song rather than change it. I hate that song so much. I have a few standards in my life, and this is one of them. If, if there's a song and I don't like it and... Weird Al does a parody of it, and I still don't like it. It's yeah. a horrible song yeah, because that's... I don't I don't like the um, the Star Wars parody that he did with American Pie, and I don't like Jurassic Park that he did with MacArthur Park. It's just they're just right. bad songs. And like I said, millennials are whiny. Look, dude, you're crying about a cake. Stop off at Seven Eleven on the way home, buy some ding dongs, and cheer the f- up. You Jesus. think you got it bad? What about all those guys on the Edmund Fitzgerald? <laughs> All right, uh, before we go, let's wrap it up with an uh, answer to our trivia question. The trivia oh, my question God, I was, was, I was hoping you'd forget all about this. <laughs> trivia question was, in the Schoolhouse Rock song, I'm just a bill, yes, I'm only a bill, it follows a bill passing its way through all the red tape in Congress to become a law. What was the law in question being passed in that cartoon? Well, I'm glad you asked me this question, Bill, because I have the answer. Started off as Bill RS-456 and ended as the law preventing people from leaving cakes out in the rain. Am I right? Good good guess. Solid. Damn! Solid. solid. I knew guess, it. But not A the solid answer. win. I'm one for nope. 20. Yep. Not the answer. Not the... Rats. Nope. The, the law being passed in that cartoon is school buses have to come to a complete stop at all railroad crossings. That's exactly what I said, Bill. <laughs> exactly what I said. I said exactly that. Not in so many words. A melted cake 
is a metaphor. The yeah. metaphor of the school bus stopping at all railroad crossings, of course, yes. is the, MacArthur the, Park is melting yeah. in the dark. Come on. Everybody can see that. The green icing is a symbolism for man's inhumanity to man. All right. But that's going to wrap up the show. Have a good week, everyone. We will see you next week. Say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, everybody. Special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you so much for listening to Twibbly. This week was way better last year. You can follow and or message us over on Instagram or on Facebook at T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure you tell your friends if you like our show. And if you don't like our show, tell your friends you did like it. It'll be a great prank you can play on them. Have a good week, guys.